Welcome to the NHL Wraparound Podcast, featuring Neil Smith, President, General Manager of the 1994 Stanley Cup champion New York Rangers, and longtime ESPN NHL veteran Vic Morin. Together, they share no-nonsense opinions on news and issues around the National Hockey League. Whether you're a casual or diehard fan, each episode of NHL Wraparound will leave you more informed. Now, here's your hosts, Neil and Vic. Hey folks, welcome to episode 5 of NHL Wraparound. On today's show, we're going to kick off with a couple of one-timers talking about Austin Matthews and then look back at the stadium series at New Jersey this past weekend. Then Vancouver and Florida, the two furthest most points on the NHL map, but the two clubs near neighbors atop the NHL standings. And then Neil goes into the GM seat as the trade deadline approaches. We're going to take a look at how teams approach the deadline going for it all, as opposed to those just trying to get in without mortgaging their future. And then we'll wrap up with the human side of the story. All that coming up. But first, a word from my gray. From Howdy Hughes, from Bellavoda Bedard, we're your source for game-worn jerseys. Go to MyGray.com, M-E-I-G-R-A-Y.com to start your collection today. Get real. Get it from MyGray. Well, Vic, this weekend we saw a couple of great hockey ex exhibitions really at the outdoor games at the MetLife Center in New Jersey. Uh, a couple of really good games between the Flyers and the Devils. And then, of course, a, a crazy game in the afternoon, uh, a, the Islanders and the Rangers, where the Rangers made an almost unthinkable comeback on the Islanders and win the game in overtime. And it, it just got me thinking that there's more to think about when you talk about an outdoor game than perhaps meets the eye. There's two sides to it. There's the revenue side and the business side, which is incredible. When you think about 70 or 80,000 people in a stadium, the amount of merchandise, the amount of ticket revenue, uh, the, the, just the amount of money that's flowing through an event like that. But then there's the hockey side of it and the competition side of it that says, you know, at this point in the schedule, should we really be taking time out to go outdoors and play a game that's going to be completely unnatural to the players? Uh, you know, those, those are things that have got to be thought about. The Philadelphia Flyers, the New Jersey Devils, the New York Islanders, they're all in a playoff hunt right now trying to get into the wild card. The Rangers are well into the playoffs, but they're trying to fight for first in the East, they've got real stuff on the line. And I'll give them credit. The two teams, the four teams, all played really hard and played as if there was a lot on the line. But it's it, you got to think, if you're a hockey person running one of those teams, if you're one of the coaches, is this really what you want at this time of year? Um, it leaves a bit of a question mark out there. I, I again, will say that they were fantastic uh, events. And they were really well played by the teams. I had the same concern uh, about, you know, playing these games this deep into the schedules. We're approaching the three quarter mark, but particularly on Sunday, you know, the Islanders had that game 
And by the time the Rangers were generating the comeback, it almost felt as if, you know, this was completely natural, as if it were being played in either Madison Square Garden or the UBS Arena. So either way, great spectacle for the league, great visibility. And now let's move uh, beyond the schedule. So um, my one timer uh, is uh, let's let's first look back uh, last night or Sunday in Pittsburgh, the Penguins retired the jersey of number 68, Yarmir Yager, a real terrific ceremony. But the guy that I'm going to talk about has half his number, but no less brilliant. And I'm talking about Austin Matthews, who is easily going to be player of the week with back-to-back hat tricks uh, against Philadelphia and Anaheim. And I just want to speak quickly on the brilliance of his goal scoring against Philadelphia. First goal, takes a puck in stride, snaps a hard shot from the left wing circle for the first goal. Second goal, right wing circle, one timer on the power play. Third goal, turnover at the Philadelphia blue line, and then he's one-on-one with a defender, switches his stick angle with a little curling drag to complete his hat trick from the high slot. And then on Saturday against Anaheim, shakes off a defender for the first goal. Another one-time blast from higher up in the left wing circle for his second goal, and then he escapes the defender from behind the net to complete the hat trick. So just an amazing array of goals for Austin Matthews. Now, Let's keep in mind that in about a season and a half, Alex Ovechkin is going to likely pass Wayne Gretzky as the all-time leader in goals. But make no mistake, right now, the greatest goal scorer in the NHL is Austin Matthews. This one-timer segment has been brought to you by the Ninsel Wealth Partners. Our goal is to be your primary source of financial advice. Our mission is to provide quality strategies customized to your needs. We recognize that you place your trust in our ability to help you achieve your goals. To us, there's no greater honor, and without question, there's no greater responsibility. Welcome back to NHL Wraparound. Neil, in your time in the NHL, I'm certain you have seen plenty of good tire fire. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. You see games that get out of control uh, every once in a while, good teams, bad teams, all kinds of things. And and all of a sudden the floodgates open and, you know, puck is flying into the net at both ends of the ice. Well, Monday afternoon in Minnesota, the Canucks engaged in one of those and want to do a little bit of a scene set here uh, that uh, the Canucks were leading this game five to two late in the second, had the game totally under control. And then they wind up taking four penalties in a two minute and 51 second span between the late second period and early third period time frame. The end result Four power play goals by the Minnesota Wild, three of them coming with a two-man advantage that was all part of a seven-goal third period. And poor Casey DeSmith saw his goals against average go from 2.74 to 3.06, and his save percentage dropped from 0.906 to 0.896. So certainly a full-fledged disaster for the Canucks yesterday in Minnesota. But the realization is this is not really representative of who the Canucks have been this season. Oh, absolutely not. And it's not even representative of who the Minnesota Wild have been this season. They're usually a very conservative, low-scoring team, plays a pretty careful game. And yesterday, uh, 
the game was anything but careful. Uh, the both teams were just uh, had the floodgates open, as I said, and uh, you know pucks were flying into the net. It's very entertaining when you're watching a game like that. But I can guarantee you that the two head coaches weren't very happy when they got back into the locker room. No question. Now, I want to go back to the Canucks for a second because they're the first club in the NHL to reach the 80-point mark, but still clubs like the last two cup champions, Vegas, Colorado, Edmonton gets a lot of publicity, and we're not even including really good teams in Dallas and Winnipeg in the West. Do the Canucks get the respect that they deserve? No, they don't. And and the reason they don't is because they've – basically come out of nowhere. And when I say that, I mean, they've had so many non-playoff years in the past uh, that if you're not paying close attention like we are, you know, you didn't even see this coming. And all of a sudden now you look and, oh, they got 80 points in the standings. What? That's usually what they have when the season's over. So they've got a lot of good young talent. They've got a, they've got a head coach that's working really hard. That's uh, redeeming himself as a quality head coach in Rick Tockett. Uh, they've got, uh, you know, a defenseman in Quinn Hughes that's trying to win the Norris trophy and very well might. And they've got a lot of players that have personal agendas to prove themselves, to have a career year. And I've always found that when you have a, a, a group of people, People that are trying to have a uh, prove their agenda, prove themselves, have a career year. Boy, your club is in for a real good season. And as you mentioned, I mean, there is a lot of star quality on this club. In addition to Hughes, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, uh, Brock Besser. And I'll tell you, on the back line, Philip Horonic shoots the puck about as well from the point position as any player in the league, possibly with the exception of Evan Bouchard on uh, the Edmonton Oilers. And let's not forget in goal, about three and a half years ago, a goaltender with a funny name, Thatcher Demko, came onto the scene, got the club to the second round against Vegas before finally bowing out. But this guy is really full value. And when I look at this roster, Monday's game aside, I don't see a lot of holes there. I don't think there's a lot of holes either, Vic. And and the, the thing that I really like being a management guy is how the Canucks stepped up early and filled some holes. They got Zadorov early. The defenseman from Calgary was disgruntled in Calgary. And then they turned around and got Lindholm. And uh, Lindholm really uh, moves in there and, and, and makes their center position so much stronger. So I, I, this is a well-put-together hockey team right now. Uh, they're flying on all six cylinders. Um, yes, on Monday, they had a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a blip on the screen. Uh, but uh, people are going to have to watch out for the Canucks uh, going forward and right into the playoffs. That's a very hungry market for a Stanley Cup champion. 0-3 all-time in Cup Finals. They were swept by the Islanders in 82 and then lost seven-game series to the Rangers in 94 and the Bruins in 2011. So uh, this is a year that if you haven't been taking a close eye at the Canucks, please do so going forward. Neil, you've heard me sharing how much I love my Dior jeans, and I had them out at dinner again this past weekend. Were you wearing them, or did you just take them with you? 
No, I wore them, and again, I did not spill any food on them, and they are absolutely outstanding because Door makes stretch performance denim and lifestyle apparel for men and women. Plus, Door is committed to using 85% plant-based materials for natural softness and comfort. Trust me, you need Door in your wardrobe. Order your new favorite jeans today. Check out Door's flagship stores in L.A. or Denver or shop online at shopdoor.com slash NHL fan. Right now, our listeners can get 15% off site-wide when you use our special URL, shopdoer.com slash NHL fan. Don't wait to get 15% off. Go now to shopdoor.com slash NHL fan. And you know me, Vic, whenever I can save 15%, I'm in. I'm all in oh, for 15% yeah. off. <laughs> Whether that's I make you pay the tip of 15% or I get it on my jeans, I don't care. But let's talk about the Florida Panthers. Uh, this is a, a topic that uh, is all over the league right now. Uh, obviously, they're doing so well in the East. Uh, they're on top of the East. Uh, they're second overall. And, you know, I've watched this team as everybody has the last uh, three seasons. Uh, they won the president's trophy and then went out early in the playoffs. Then they came back last season, struggled through the regular season, uh, woke up in the playoffs, uh, did a miraculous uh, defeat of the Boston Bruins after being down three to one and then went right through to the final, uh, losing to Vegas in the Stanley Cup final. And I, it's my experience that when a team overachieves in the playoffs and they sort of become the Cinderella of the playoffs, that the next season they have a drop off. And the Florida Panthers not only have not had a drop off, I think they're better than they were in last year's playoffs. And they seem to be firing on all cylinders. And I sort of marvel at the success they're having this regular season. Nine and one in their last 10. And it's almost as if this team knows that they have something to prove, know that there is a next step there. And what I find interesting is the NHL has always been known as a copycat league and the team that's the champion. People want to emulate that club. But as much as the Golden Knights are the defending champion from where I'm sitting, there are more clubs that feel that they have to be built to play a long series with Florida than they do with, uh, with, uh, Vegas. Yeah, you, you could, you could be right. I think the one thing that I see that the Panthers have done for all the other teams is that they have uh, given into the old adage that personally I didn't believe in that much, but just get into the playoffs and anything can happen. Um, they've proved that's right. I mean, they got in in the eighth spot in the East last year, uh, almost missed the playoffs, um, and then, but ha ended up in the Stanley Cup final. So, you know, um, it, it gives everybody hope when something like that happens. And you can say within the locker room, come on, boys, come on, boys. We just got to get into the playoffs. Anything can happen. Look at what happened with Florida last year. So I give the Panthers and their team enormous credit for what they're doing this year. They've turned into a, a 
a pack of wolves almost, uh, you know, uh, a pack of panthers, I guess. But um, they, they're gritty and they go after the opponent. When one guy's in a scrum, they're all in a scrum. Uh, it's sort of like Matthew Kachuk's personality has taken over the whole team and that pit bull attitude that he has. And they're fun to watch. Uh, you've got the Sam Bennett's, uh, you've got the Lombergs, you've got some guys that are really grimy there. And when we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about, uh, you know, how you need to draw in the playoffs and the one team that Boston didn't want to see was, uh, was Florida because they're in your face. They're not afraid to mix it up at any time in any zone at any point during a game. And I think that we're seeing that manifest now. And a lot of teams, as a matter of fact, the entire league has really taken notice to that, that if you survey a bunch of coaches, general managers and players confidentially and ask them, who's the team that you want to see the least in the playoffs? Florida's going to be right at the top of that list. Oh, yeah, because of the way they play. They play playoff hockey during the regular season. I mean, that, and that's why they're fun to watch because you're seeing, you know, uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of emotion in their game. And, um, you know, quite honestly, I'm anxious to see what they do from here. I think Paul Maurice is, is obviously doing a great job. And I think Bill Zito did a great job in the summer. He filled in some holes that he had, brought in some new talent. I mean, new to the Panthers. I mean, not rookies, but uh, I think he's done a, a fantastic job. So I think that uh, their coach should be up for coach of the year and their manager should be up for manager of the year. And who knows where the Panthers can go in the playoffs. From a managerial standpoint, what does a team learn about itself, such as, uh, you know, when you take the Panthers after the run that they had in 23, what do they find out about themselves inside that enables them to take the next step? I just I just think that these uh Kids, because they are, they're in their early 20s, they learn about winning and they know what it takes to win. They start to know what it takes to win. And um, I think in the playoffs last year, the Florida Panthers learned a lot about what it takes to win. Don't forget that in every series, if you go to the Boston series, the Toronto series, the Carolina series, they were always the underdog. They always started on the road. And ended up, uh, you know, playing game three and four at home. And they just manhandled the Toronto Maple Leafs and they swept the Carolina Hurricanes, who were a really good team last year. So I, I think what the young players start to get a hold of is the playoffs are different. The playoffs are a, are a completely different animal than the regular season. And if we're going to win, this is how we're going to have to do it. And I think the Panthers have learned a lot about that. Do you think this club will be comfortable as a favorite as opposed to last year when, as you mentioned, they were underdogs in all four series? You know, um, they may be comfortable with that. But I, I think when the playoffs start, they're still not going to be called the favorite. I, I, even if they end in first in the East, I don't think that the media and everybody is ready to say that the Florida Panthers are a favorite. I, I just, I get that same feeling with the Vancouver Canucks out West 
that people just aren't ready to say that. They're ready to say, oh, well, Boston's going to end first. Or Boston's the best team because they're used to saying that. And I don't think they're ready yet to say that the guys down in Sunshine, Florida are ready to be the favorite. In our last segment, we talked about the Canucks maybe not getting the respect that they deserve, the same as we're talking about Florida here. But do you see similarities between these two clubs? I mean, there's uh, there's the size, there's the grit, there's the speed, and there's a star quality on the uh uh, on the Panthers as well. Matthew Kachuk, Sam Reinhardt is on his way to a 50 goal season. Carter Hagee following up a big la- year last year. Um, Oliver Ekman Larson, Brandon Montour, Aaron Ekblad on defense. Sergei Bobrovsky proved that he could get a team to the final as he did last year. And there's a pretty uh, reliable backup in Anthony Stoll Arson goals. So uh, do you see comparisons perhaps between the Panthers and Canucks? The one thing that I see is what I said about the Canucks. I see it also in the Panthers. And that is when you want to prove that you deserve to be in the final last year, that you weren't a fluke, that it just didn't happen by accident, that you weren't what I called the Cinderella team. That's when you're going to come out and play like the Panthers have played this year. You want to get the credit for what you've done. The player has an agenda. The the, the whole organization has an agenda to prove that they're a, a top uh, a top level NHL team. And each individual player has to have want the same thing. They have to, Verhage has to, want to say, I, I want to be an all-star or, you know, Matthew Kachuk has to say, I want to lead this team. And, and, uh, their captain has to say, I want to, I want to hold the Stanley cup. I want to be the guy that leads my team to the Stanley cup. And I think when you get those individual guys trying to have career years, I said this about the Canucks, but I, it's so true about the, the Panthers. Um, you start to have a really good season going to put you on the spot here because between the Canucks and the Panthers 0-5 all-time in the cup final. We already mentioned the Canucks before. Panthers uh, losing to Colorado in 96 and 4 straight and then losing in 5 last year to Vegas. One, both, or neither make the final? Uh, I'm going to say... Neither. And I'm only saying that because we're talking so much about them and saying how, how great a season they're having. And um, I don't think that the Panthers are going to repeat. Can they repeat to go to the final? Yes. Do I think they're going to in my guessology? No. Um, do I think the Vancouver Canucks are ready to get all the way to the final, having not made most of their players never playing in the playoffs? No. But again, I'm reaching into my bag of guesses and saying what I think is going to happen. Are they both good enough clubs to make the final? Absolutely. Will I will I guess that they'll both make it? No. <laughs> and that's what I was going to follow up with. Is, is it a matter of them not being good enough? Or is it just that the competition in both conferences is so stiff that, you know, r- really there's probably about 10 teams that could win the cup this year. There is, but I, I, I still go back to one thing. Experience in the playoffs is crucial. Um, 
you know, that the, if you've been there, you've done it, you, you know what it takes. You don't panic when you get down by a game or two and know that you're on the verge of being eliminated and you hang in there and you end up winning the series. Now, Florida did that last year. So I'm not talking about them. They were down three to one. They came back on the, the best team by far in the league and knocked them out of the, the playoffs. The Vancouver Canucks are a different in a different situation because most of their players have not played in those high stress, high end playoff games. And they're going to have to learn that when this regular season stops, a new season begins and everything that you did during the regular season doesn't matter anymore. And if you lose four games to that team on the other side of the wall, you're going golfing. We're two-thirds of the way through the season and another few weeks to go. First the trade deadline and then the playoffs will be starting in mid-April. And uh, certainly a lot of focus are going to be both on the Florida Panthers and the Vancouver Canucks. Time now for a quick shout-out to our sponsor. NHL Wraparound is brought to you by MyGray, your source for game-worn jerseys. Head to MyGray.com to get your collection started today. Get real, get it from MyGray. NHL wraparound subscribers can take 10% off any hockey jersey when they order at MyGray.com and use the coupon code RAP10. Don't forget that coupon code WRAP10. Let's jump now and uh, do a little asking of the GM as our next segment. And with the trade deadline approaching, usually there's two schools of thought. There are the teams that are making trades to win it all. And then there are clubs that are just dealing to make the playoffs without mortgaging their future. So um, turn on the Wayback Machine just to set the stage here on teams dealing to win it all. And, of course, your club in 1994, you acquired Craig McTavish. Glenn Anderson, Brian Noonan, and Stefan Matteau. You gave up some assets in Mike Gartner, Tony Amani, and, and Tard Marchand, uh, but it paid off because you won. Five years later, the Detroit Red Wings were going for a three-peat and at the deadline acquired Old Samuelson, Wendell Clark, Bill Ranford, who was a Conn Smythe winner, and Chris Chelios, and everybody thought, oh, here it is. This team is just lined up. There's going to be no beating them. And sure enough, they lost to Colorado in the Western Conference semis. So there's a real arms race going on in the Western Conference, which we kind of uh, touched on in our Vancouver segment earlier. How do you see this unfolding as the deadline nears on March 8th? Well, I think you're going to see uh – People not waiting till March 8th, but uh, you will definitely see some moves. I would think you're going to see moves made by those contenders in Colorado who's got a real shot. You're going to see Vegas wanting to do something to get a, a second Stanley Cup. Um, yeah, of course, we've seen, as we mentioned earlier, we've seen Vancouver already uh, make a couple of moves and they might have more up their sleeve. Who knows? Uh, but those are the teams that are going to pay with youth and future for today for right now and that's the way this game works in the nhl now if you if you have nothing but your future um then you're you're you know you're you're buying to for the for the for the future if you have the present is the window you've got open then you know you want to stockpile your assets for right now it's really a delicate balance isn't it 
Oh, it's, it's, it's horribly delicate. And, and here's the reason why, Vic, because the general manager is in charge of the, and, and holds the future of the organization in his hands. He's got to look out not only for what's going on on the ice today, but he has to keep another eye on the future and make sure that his club isn't going to be decimated down the road. So if he gets rid of all his, all his young assets and then, you know, misses the playoffs for five years in a row, that's not going to sit well. Um, and, and at the same time, he's got to recognize, well, I have a window here that we could jump through to win the cup. I got to take a swing at it. And that means I've got to sort of sacrifice something down the road here. So it's, it's a real delicate balance. And I will say in 94 about those trades, I knew that if we didn't win, you know, Tony Amonti was going to go on to be a star. He was a young player. I, I love Tony Amonti as a player. Uh, Mike Gartner was a great veteran and, a, a, you know, a, just a great player. Had a couple of more years left on his contract. But, you know, I thought I had to swing and swing hard, and that's what we did. Fortunately, it worked out. But uh, sometimes it doesn't work out, like you mentioned, with the Detroit uh, trying to do the three-peat. And on the other side of the scale here, you've got clubs that are dealing just to get in. And a club that has a particularly interesting situation is the Philadelphia Flyers that are probably ahead of schedule in terms of where they thought they would be. They are currently in a playoff position. And yet, I think the management team of Keith Jones and Danny Briere not quite wanting to mortgage their future. Now, the good thing for them is none of their forwards are on expiring contracts. They do have three defensemen on expiring contracts that are Mark Stahl, Nick Sealer, and Sean Walker. So this is an entirely different situation where you want to be able to reward the team for what they've accomplished to this point, but at the same time, you don't want to give up too many assets. No, and and I think if Danny Briere you know, is, is smart. And I know he is, I, I don't even like using that expression, but I think that Danny Breer will probably sit tight. Just let the cards play their way out this season. You're not anywhere near being a contender. You're way overachieving this season, uh, uh, based upon what people had predicted. Uh, John Tortorella is doing a fantastic job of getting his players to overachieve, but stay with your game plan. Do not change your game plan because you're having one good season. Trade deadline closing in on March 8th, and I believe that we will continue to have some serious discussion in our next couple of shows leading up to that date. The human side of the story is brought to you by UBS Financial Services. And 44 years ago this week, the U.S. Olympic hockey team had the stirring upset over the Soviet Union. And uh, just an interesting story uh, about how I found out that the uh, U.S. had actually won the game. Uh, back then, uh, obviously, the IOC uh, did not care that the game was going to be served best in prime time with Lake Placid being on the East Coast. So the game actually started at 5 o'clock, and I had to make the decision whether or not I was going to listen for the scores on WINS or wait for the tape delay at 8 o'clock on ABC. And so I decided, you know what? I'm an immediate kind of guy. I wanted to know right away. And so every 
uh, half hour. I would listen for the scores and the U.S. was behind 3-2 in the third period. And at quarter after seven, uh, WINS had uh, the score that uh, the game had been tied by the U.S. at 3-3. And then something said, you know what, turn on the CBS evening news. And at 7.30, Walter Cronkite, of all people, came on and with a little bit of a crease of a smile in the side of his mouth said, and the U.S. has defeated Russia by a score of four to three. And that's how I found out that the U.S. had won. And, of course, I went and watched the uh, game on replay afterwards with uh, Jim McKay as host and Al Michaels with his unforgettable call along with Ken Dryden. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. We all remember that for sure of where we were at the time when the U.S. won that in, in Lake Placid. The human side of the story for me today, Vic, is about the real Walter Kachuk. We've heard from the nicknamed Walt Kachuk, spelling differently, but what about the one that played 14 seasons for the New York Rangers that provided the nickname for Keith Kachuk? A, a, a great story. Uh, parents were Ukrainian. They moved uh, to West Germany. They gave birth to Walter in West Germany. And when he was two years old, they picked up and moved to Timmins, Ontario, Canada. And his dad, Mike, uh, was a miner in Timmins, mining gold. And uh, when uh, Walt grew up uh, to, a, to a boy, to a working age, he spent the summers working with his dad in the mine and uh, did some dynamite blasting and, uh, you know, uh, planting dynamite and, and trying to get the gold out of the mine. He, uh, he was a very interesting guy. And this toughness of working in a mine was the way that he played the game of hockey for the New York Rangers. He, uh, an interesting part of his career that I didn't know about, but was that in 1972, when the famous Summit Series was coming along and Canada was putting together their team, they asked Walter Kachuk to play on that team because he was such a good defensive forward. And he declined the invitation because he wanted to run his hockey school that summer. So he was eventually replaced by Bobby Clark um, in 1981. Walter Kachuk retired from the National Hockey League after 14 seasons with the New York Rangers. Unfortunately, because of an eye injury, that's what, that's what cut his career off. But he ended up with 945 games, all with the New York Rangers, fifth all time in games played on that original six team. He ended up number one, or is today number one in plus minus of all New York Ranger players in history at a plus 184, if you can believe it. And he is sixth in all-time New York Rangers scoring at 678 points. So now you know the real story of the real Walter Kachuk. And I watched the real Walter Kachuk. <laughs> Uh, when in my earliest days watching and just uh, a terrific, dependable two-way player. And of course, he was also on a line in New York called the Bulldog Line. And considering the work ethic and his history, uh, very, very apropos. Well, I want to say thanks to Mike Gray, UBS, Dewar, 
and Ninsel Financial Partners for being our sponsor. Thanks to the listeners. Don't forget to subscribe, please. We're on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Join us next Tuesday for more NHL discussion as we get even deeper into the playoff drive for the National Hockey League. Thanks for joining us on the NHL Wraparound Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date on all the NHL action. 